We're in a series. We've only got a couple more weeks to go in our current series. We're going to continue through John for just a little bit longer uh, before we head into the holiday season. Uh, but we've got a couple more messages here with our current series. That's uh, You can stretch it all the way back to the summertime. It's called Jesus' Last Words. His last words. The final words that he was speaking to his followers before he would be arrested, literally hours away uh, from these moments where he's speaking these words to his disciples. Uh, and then he would be crucified, arrested and then crucified and taken away. And so Jesus has these final words. And so it covers three chapters. So we've been taking our time, but Jesus has a lot to say in those final moments. And when you consider that John is, is 21 chapters long and three chapters in and of themselves are devoted to these last words. And then we'll see in John 17, this prayer that he prays for his friends. And we'll take some time to look at that during the month of November. But... We're going to take a look at these, these words here today. These last words. Jesus has been saying, he's been, going to, he's been telling his disciples that he's going to go away. He's going to leave them. And that's starting to unsettle their hearts a little bit. Uh, he said that one of them is going to betray him. We know that to be Judas. He said that another one, one of his closest friends, would deny him. We know that's Peter. And he went on to say that the world is going to hate you, friends. So he told his disciples. But yet in John 15, 11, he said, These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. What? Oh, what? How? How could that be, Jesus? All these things you're telling us, all these warnings that we're hearing, and then you say our joy may be full? How in the world is that going to happen? You can't be serious, Jesus. You know, I, I'm not very good at this, but when I get into conversations and I hear something that just seems kind of ridiculous or impossible, I work, kind of wear my emotions on my facial expressions sometimes. And if I've done this to you, I apologize to you. But sometimes I'll hear something and go, what? what are you got to be kidding me, right? And I'm sure if I was sitting there with the disciples, I'd have gone like, what are you talking about? Joy. How in the world can we have joy in these moments? I'm starting to feel sorrow in my heart, Jesus. How could this be? Well, as followers of Jesus, we know from the New Testament that joy is to be actually a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22. Joy, love, joy. It's, it's that the produce that comes from having the Spirit live in us, and that fruit comes out, and one of those fruit is joy. What is joy? Well, joy in the Old Testament was this gladness of heart, this disposition of heart that, that was reflecting upon God's salvation of his people and his delivering them from slavery and bringing them into the promised land. So as the people of Israel lived in the promised land and they were enjoying God's blessings, they saw and they could have this glad disposition, this gladness of heart because of God's salvation. Well, we see in the New Testament that this gladness of heart actually supersedes even our temporal circumstances. Gladness of heart in the midst of all kinds of circumstances. So when you think about it as a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus today, a Christian today, we're called to display the fruit of the Spirit, and it's to supersede our temporal uh, circumstances. However, however, if you've lived this Christian life even for a day, I'm sure you've come to realize that we are not immune from sorrow, from pain, from grief, from suffering. Many even today around the globe, followers, brothers and sisters in Jesus, spiritual family are experiencing persecution today because they follow Jesus. No, Christians are not immune from suffering. But yet we're supposed to display joy. Is this joy, this glad disposition, this gladness of heart in God, is this just merely a pipe dream? Uh, are we supposed to just kind of pretend and live in this fantasy world? Are we as Christians that we display joy, are we just blissfully ignorant and naive to the circumstances around us? Are we just supposed to be happy-go-lucky people that kind of ignore the circumstances and ignore the hurting and the pain and the suffering that we feel and those around us feel? Is that what it means to have joy? as a follower of Jesus. See, the disciples, they felt disturbed by the messages that they were receiving from Jesus. There was a lot of really difficult information that he was passing on to them. And they felt by, disturbed by it. And Jesus knew this. However, in this passage we're going to see today, Jesus showed them that his life would be the source of their joy. His life would be the source of their joy. And if you're like me, you probably feel disturbed sometimes too. Is this Christian expectation of joy in this broken world, world is it realistic? Is it even possible to have joy? 
Is life of joy as a Christian, is it a denial that we truly have sorrow? Do we just kind of push down and stuff our emotions? Is that what joy is? Does our joy ignore the brokenness we see and feel on almost a daily basis? So what's the source of our joy? What's the source of your joy as a follower of Jesus today? Well, we're going to see from John chapter 16, verses 16 to 24 is this, that the disciples' temporary sorrow would give way to eternal joy through the resurrection that Jesus was promising them. They didn't quite get it yet, but Jesus was already telling them, my life will give birth to your joy. And that's our big idea today. Our big idea, if you'd like to take one thing away from the sermon, you could take all kinds of notes that you want. But if there's one thing you could leave with today is that Jesus' life gives birth to our joy. Jesus' life gives birth to our joy. So let's take a look at our passage this morning. Before we do, I'd like to open in a word of prayer to ask for God's help as we study and look at the scriptures here today. Father in heaven, we come to you, and many of us are coming to you today with our tank of joy on empty. Uh, And as we see Jesus' disciples, they didn't quite get it. How in the world could they have joy in the midst of such sorrow? So, Father, as we look at Jesus' answer to their questions, we ask that you'd open our eyes, that we would behold wonderful things out of your law, and that we'd be changed by and transformed. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. John chapter 16, verses 16 through 24, it says this, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, You will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been brought into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice." And no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Jesus' answer to their question is this. My life gives birth to your joy. So the disciples, they're here and they're kind of confused. You see, the disciples, as they're hearing Jesus almost give like a Dr. Seuss riddle, a little while and I'll be with you, and then a little while I'll be with you no more, but then a little while I'll be with you again, and you will see me. Well, what is it, Jesus? What, What kind of riddle, what kind of games are you playing here? The disciples didn't understand it. And in in the previous verses, in uh, chapter 15, verse 10, he says, I'm going away to the Father. And so they're trying to connect all these dots. They're trying to put all these pieces together. But they can't. They don't understand. You see, in this moment, the disciples, they had no categories for how they could have joy in the midst of all these things that Jesus had been telling them. Of his leaving, of his going to the Father, of, of, of one of them betraying him and then another denying him. And all these things they did not understand. Jesus, what are you talking about? They had no category for joy because they had no category for a Messiah who would come and suffer and rise from the dead. This risen Messiah, this risen victorious Messiah wasn't even, uh, couldn't even cross their minds. They had no categories for it. And so the disciples are there and they're asking these questions and you can almost see the steam coming from their ears, right? The smoke coming from their ears. Lord, this is breaking us. We do not understand it. But but Jesus is the perfect rabbi. Jesus is the perfect teacher. Jesus is the perfect master and he could sense the dissatisfaction. He could sense the whispering. He could sense the grumbling that's going on as they don't understand exactly what he's talking about. 
The disciples, they had a, a category for a Messiah. And, and there's certainly all kinds of scripture that, that, that they could go back to. For instance, Psalm chapter 2 talks about this, this son of the Lord that would come and, and rule the earth and, 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 and rule the nations with a rod of iron. And they loved that idea. This Messiah that would come onto the scene and deliver them from the tyranny of, of Roman occupation. To deliver them from the tyranny of, of this enslavement that they felt. And they longed for that Messiah. But a Messiah that would come, meek, gentle, humble. A Messiah that would lay down his life for his people and then rise from the dead. They had no categories for that. Therefore, they had no category for joy in the midst of this conversation. Jesus is the perfect rabbi and as the perfect teacher, he senses this. And so he addresses their question directly. He says in verse 20, Truly, truly, I say to you, verily, verily, amen and amen, I say to you, let it be so. You will weep and you will lament while the world rejoices. Isn't that, isn't that sad? You're going to be in sorrow. You're going to be weeping. You're going to be lamenting while the world is going to be standing by and say, we got him. We got him. In fact, there were the Jewish leaders and, and Romans that were passing Jesus, hanging on a cross, and they'd say, is this really the king of the Jews? Is this, this Messiah, so-called, this man, this one who's come, is hanging on the cross, boasted so much about, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up again. How about now, Jesus? There you are, hanging on that cross. While the disciples, those that were friends of Jesus, wept, wept and lamented, the world was rejoicing. But that wasn't the end of the story. In fact, Jesus says, you'll weep and lament while the world rejoices. However, you will be sorrow, sorrowful, you will have sorrow, but, it says at the end of verse 20, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Your sorrow will be transformed. Your sorrow will change into joy. A glad disposition of heart. It's a promise. It's a promise that Jesus gave to his disciples right at this moment. A little while you'll be sorrowful, but then after that little while, your sorrow will turn into joy. How could that be? Before we get the answer, Jesus goes on and he, he shares an analogy in verse 21. Again, the master teacher. I'm always searching for illustrations. I'm always searching for ways that we could picture these truths. But Jesus does it better than anyone. He says this in verse 21. When a, when a young woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because she's delivered a baby. Uh, uh, when she is, sorry, because her hour has come. Excuse me, let me start over. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. And Jesus has been saying all throughout this gospel. He's been saying, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. But now he's on, on this scene at this moment teaching these disciples. He's saying, my hour has come. My hour to suffer. My hour to die. My hour to be glorified through crucifixion and resurrection has come. And, and, and by analogy, he's saying, when a woman realizes that her hour has come to give birth, she has sorrow, anguish. Are there any moms in here that could testify to that? Sorrow and anguish in giving birth to a child. I know nothing about that. Thank you, Lord. Right? But I've seen it. I've seen it with my own eyes. You know, uh, we've, my wife's given birth to three children, two sons and a daughter. And it seemed that the first and the third came out fairly simply. She had medication and it was well. But our second son, Benjamin, and this is kind of uh, uh, characteristic of him. He's always the most difficult one, right? No, I'm just kidding. Benjamin's wonderful. But that labor was very difficult for her. And I didn't feel any of the pain, but I could see the anguish. I could see the sorrow on my wife's face. And if you were to take my blood pressure right now, you probably would have put me in the emergency room when I was watching my wife go through all this anguish and sorrow. Watching that happen. Sorrow, anguish, pain, grief in those moments, giving birth to that child. But Jesus says this, But when she's delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been brought into the world. 
That moment, after all of those hours of anguish, all those moments of pain and grief, right when you bring that little one and she holds that baby in her arms and she, that, that sorrow and that anguish just starts to melt away for the joy that she feels looking at that child. What Jesus is saying is that you're going to be going through sorrow and anguish. But here's the thing. Jesus wasn't saying they were going to go through labor pains. In fact, he's saying, I'm the one that's going to go through the labor pains for you. You're going to be like that that dad that's standing there and watching and you're feeling all the sorrow as you're watching the, the mother of your child go through all of that pain. Jesus is saying, you're going to be in sorrow, but you're going to hold that new life, that new life that I give, and you're going to find joy. You're going to find joy. Verse 22 says, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. You know, it's pretty cool to think that I know Jesus. And if you know Jesus, you know him too. You know, it's kind of like saying, like I pull that card and say, Hey man, I know the one that holds up the universe by the word of his power. I know Jesus. But you know what's even more humbling to think about? Jesus knows me. And Jesus knows you. And Jesus says, there's going to come a time soon after the labor pains are over when I'm going to see you again. And Jesus is saying, I'm expecting it. I can't wait for it. I'm going to see you men again. And I can't wait until that moment. After the labor's over, after all the pain, after all the sorrow, after all the anguish, after all the suffering, I'm going to look you in the eyes again. And you're going to rejoice. You are going to rejoice your sorrow will become joy. See, this was, this was new to them. They had no categories for this. You see, God's people, Israel, they'd been, they'd been waiting and waiting and waiting for that moment when they could realize true, lasting, eternal joy. You see, God's, God had blessed His people. He'd put them in the land and given them many, many great blessings But there was a problem. There was this cycle. God would bless them, and then they'd be in the land, and they'd enjoy all of His goodness, but then they'd bow down to the idols of the nations that they lived among. They'd start to live immorally. They'd rebel against God. They'd sin, and God would send them back into judgment all over again. They'd have to repent and enjoy His blessing, and then fall into sorrow again because of their sin. And there was never any end to it. King after king, ruler after ruler would be there and say, Lord, deliver us. And then they'd fall into sin and, and then they'd get back into this vicious cycle again. And, and the prophet Isaiah said, as much as we've experienced God's salvation, there still is a work that needs to be done. In Isaiah chapter 26, verses 16 to 19, talks about this longing, this longing for this eternal hope, this longing for new life, this longing for lasting joy and salvation. Isaiah 26, verses 16 to 19, Isaiah describes it this way. O Lord, in distress they, being the leaders of Israel, they sought you. They poured out a whispered prayer when your discipline was upon them. Like a pregnant woman writhes and cries out in her pangs when she is near to giving birth. So we were because of you, O Lord. We were pregnant. We writhed, but we've given birth to wind. Given birth to wind. This was the experience of of the nation of Israel. This was the experience uh, as a a test case of all of humanity. We go through the brokenness of this world. We feel the pain. We feel the grief. We feel the sorrow. The children of Israel felt it too. And it's like they're going through those labor pains. But where's the payoff? Where's the joy? Where can we hold that little one in our arms so that that sorrow and that anguish and that grief can melt away and we can just have joy? Isaiah is saying, we've gone through all the labor pains, but we've given birth to wind. Where's the hope? Where's the joy? Isaiah foresaw a day. He foresaw a day when God would bring the true uh, remedy that Israel needed and indeed all of humanity needed. He goes on to say in verse 19, your dead shall live Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to dead. 
You see, Isaiah saw it. He knew it. He knew that this cannot be the end. That all you get is labor pains with no joy, no payoff, no little one to look in the eyes so the sorrow can melt away. He said, Lord, we look forward to a day of resurrection. We look forward to a day when the dead will come out of the ground and we'll get to have that joy, that lasting joy, that gladness of disposition forever and ever as you take away our sin. And Jesus comes onto the scene. And he says, you're going to have sorrow, just like a mother that's in labor. But guess what? It's not going to give birth to wind. I'm bringing real joy. I'm bringing real, lasting joy. And look at the promise at the end of verse 22, back in John 16. Back in John 16, at the end of verse 22, it says, Your hearts will rejoice. And I love this. No one will take your joy from you. No one will take your joy from you. Just as that mother felt that anguish, she felt in labor, she holds that baby in her arms, so also Jesus' resurrected life gives birth to our joy. But not just joy for a moment, lasting joy. A joy that can never be taken away. A joy that death cannot take away. A joy that sorrow cannot take away. A joy that losing our jobs cannot take away. A joy that COVID cannot take away. A joy that cancer cannot take away away. Jesus says, I give you lasting joy. No one will take your joy from you. This is a new era Jesus was bringing in. There were no categories for this. Jesus was about to do something that the world had never seen before. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, weeping may stay for the night. But rejoicing comes in the morning. Jesus was about to make the sunrise on them. They were about to experience joy and a joy that could never be taken away. That's why he could say things like in John chapter 15, 11, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You see, friends, Jesus here is talking about this moment. I'm going away for a little while. I'm going to allow myself to be arrested. I'm going to give myself over. I'm going to give myself over to to unrighteous men who are going to falsely accuse me, who are going to beat me and mock me, the Messiah, the Son of God. Then they're going to take me to Golgotha and they're going to hang me on a cross and crucify me and I'm going to die and on that cross I'm going to bear the sins of the world. I'm going to appease God's wrath through my shed blood and I'm going to go into that grave. But guess what? In a little while after that, just a few days later, I'm going to rise victoriously from the dead so that your joy will never go away and so that your joy may be full. Amen. Followers of Jesus. Followers of Jesus have joy because Jesus is alive. Jesus is risen from the dead. Jesus' life gives birth to our joy just as he gave birth to the joy of the disciples through his risen life. So much so that we could say that life is here now. We see glimmers of it. We see glimpses of it. We see it in one another. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 to 17, Jesus says, the new creation, the new life, you don't have to wait for it. You have it now. When I look at you, I see new creation if you're in Christ. When you look at me, guess what you see? A glimmer, a glimpse, an appetizer of that new creation that Jesus is bringing and someday it's going to bust out all over this world and all over this universe. He says this, Paul writes, a man who was full of sorrows, a man who suffered greatly for following Jesus, and yet if you're in our young adults class at 9 o'clock, you're hearing about joy from the book of Philippians. Paul was a man, even when he was imprisoned, he had joy. Listen to what he says about this new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 17. He says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Why? Because he's alive, he's risen, he's glorious. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Not will be, he is a new creation. Friend, if you're in Christ, the joy of the resurrection of Jesus in his life is in you right now. We get to see a foretaste that of right now. Even though our outward man is wasting away, our inward person is being renewed day by day. We have life. Jesus' life gives birth to our joy. What about when our, our, our outward bodies 
our flesh? What about when it dies? What about when it gets buried in the ground? What about our loved ones that we see that pass away and get buried into the earth? Paul says, I got some joy for you there too. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 15 to 57. uh, Paul says, even death has been swallowed up in the joyous victory through Jesus' resurrection life. It says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality. That's talking about... If you're in Christ today, that's talking about your body's coming out of that grave. You know what? If you get cremated, Jesus can take care of that too. It's all right. If you get eaten by lions in the days of the Roman Empire because you have been persecuted for Jesus, Jesus can figure that out too. All right? He, he, it's not too big for him. Right? When mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. There's that joyful statement. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory for our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' life. Yes, amen. Jesus' life gives birth to our joy. Our joy. The disciples had no category for it, but they were about to have a big category in just a few days. Jesus' resurrected life. Jesus' resurrected life allows us access to that joy today. And he knew that his resurrection would be a foretaste of what was to come. But he knew that there would be many days between his resurrection and return. And he knew that there would be threats to the disciples' joy all the time. And Jesus knew about this. And so he gives them one more truly, truly promise. Back in John chapter 16, in verses 23 through 24, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name because he hadn't been risen yet. They didn't even know how to do that yet. But he's telling them, when that day comes, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. That your joy may be complete. Jesus anticipated the threats that we would feel, the threats that his disciples would feel to their joy. And he says, I've got a solution for that. You just come to the Father. You just ask him for what you need. When you feel the pressures of grief and brokenness and pain and sorrow and all these things, you just come on back to the Father in my name. Come in my authority. Come with my glory in mind. Come with my purposes in mind. And you come to the Father and you ask. And he says, I'm going to fill up your joy tank. Today, you may be feeling like your tank is on empty. Jesus' life gives birth to our joy. And what we do when we feel in those moments that the grief is knocking at the door, when the sorrow is trying to kick in the windows, when the anguish is is coming up through the sewer lines, I don't know, however they're going to invade, we look back and we remember, we call upon our Father in the name of Jesus, and He fills up our joy to completion. I was talking about this, uh, this, this passage with some of our staff and pastors uh, just this week. And I love what our chairman of the elders, Pastor Tim Volstrom, said. He said, if you aren't praying and asking the Father to fill, up, fill you up when sorrow's knocking at the door, you're forfeiting your birthright for joy. That's your birthright, friend. It's yours. Jesus died and rose from the get- dead for your joy. And he said, whenever you feel like you're lacking in it, ask the Father and he'll fill up your joy. It's yours. It's your birthright. All you need to do is ask. But so many of us walk in and walk out and we live joyless Christian lives. It's not because Jesus is insufficient. We haven't asked. We haven't asked. Well, the disciples, they were about to experience something extremely profound. They were about to experience something that they had no category for, a risen Messiah, and it would be the source of their joy, and Jesus' life would give birth to their joy. But guess what? For you today, Jesus' life gives birth to our joy. Now, the Apostle Peter, he would have been sitting there. He would have been hearing all of this. In fact, he may have been some of these guys that were asking questions. What what was he talking about? A little while he's going away, and a little while he's coming back, and he's going to the Father. What what is this all about? When is he going to show himself to be Messiah, right? And take down the Romans. I'm sure he was asking these questions back in John 16. But listen to what the Apostle Peter says. The one who would deny him three times and then be restored by Jesus. Listen to the kind of joy that he has. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, Peter writes this. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a dead hope. No, 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 that's not what it says. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Oh, I cannot wait for the revelation. Can't wait for that salvation to be revealed. In this you rejoice. You hear that? In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. It's joy in the midst of trials, friends. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though, you, though you've not seen him, I've not seen him. You've not seen him. The apostles did. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Do you love Jesus today? Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. It's out of this world, friends. This resurrected Messiah, it's out of this world. I can't even describe it to you, the kind of joy that he gives. And if you've felt it and if you've experienced it and you know it, it's hard to put into words. When I'm grieving, when I'm in pain, when I'm in anguish, I just have this joy because his life gives birth to my joy because I know that my Savior's risen and someday he's coming back again and all these labor pains are just going to melt away. It's inexpressible. It's inexpressible. I can't even describe it to you. Inexpressible and filled with glory, out, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is joy that's inexpressible. It's filled with glory. We believe in the risen Jesus. His life gives birth to our joy. We have access to the Father for complete joy. And no one, friend, and nothing can rob you or rob me from that joy. And that's true in all circumstances. It's true at all times. Christians may be filled with an out-of-this-world joy because Jesus has risen from the dead and because Jesus is returning to raise us to be with him forever in glory. We live in this in-between time of brokenness and joy. Can that good news get you happy today? Amen. I want to ask you something. We're going to transition a little bit here. I want to ask you, what, what is that, that joy in the resurrected life of Jesus? What does that look like when you're diagnosed with cancer? What does that joy in Jesus look like when your spouse is diagnosed with cancer? Or your parent or a child? How, how does the life of Jesus give birth to joy in those moments? And instead of me trying to describe that to you... I, I was talking with one of our deacons just this week, and we were talking about this passage, and Manny D'Souza, director of our youth ministries, we were just the three of us, we were talking, getting ready to pray for, for many of you, and we are just thinking sorrow and anguish, but yet in the midst of that, Jesus gives birth to our joy. And I was asking one of our deacons, Ernie Sanchez, and he's the director of our First Impressions Hospitality Ministry, I said, Ernie, you've been through quite a bit. How does Jesus' life give birth to your joy? And as he started to share his story with me a little bit, I thought, oh my goodness. Like, we need to hear this. We need to testify to one another and encourage each other more, and all the more as we see the day approaching. Amen? So I've asked Ernie Sanchez to come on up here, and he's going to sit with me for a few minutes, and we're going to uh, we're talk about what does joy in the Lord look like when you watch a loved one go through cancer? Uh, so, ask you to lower the pulpit here. Now, Ernie and his wife, uh, Jan, Janet, they've been at Valley since the 1980s. Uh, Jan came, and then after much prompting, Ernie attended and put his own faith in Christ in 1989. Judy, could you get the other chair? Thank you. Uh, in 1994, she was diagnosed with breast cancer and went into remission for four years, but then it metastasized. She experienced 12 years of radiation treatment and five years of chemotherapy. She passed away at 60 years old in 2011, and she and Ernie enjoyed 35 years of marriage and fulfilled their vows to each other. 
They had one daughter, Angel, and two grandsons, Ashton and Nick. So uh, many of you know Ernie, and many others also knew his lovely bride, Jan. Ernie and I were talking about this very subject this week, right, Ernie? Having joy in Jesus through sorrow. Uh, and so we're so glad that you've been willing to, to share with us your story a little bit about how Jesus' life gives birth to our joy, all right? Let's give him a round of applause. Now, if you know Ernie, he's, uh, he's one of those in-the-background kind of guys. Uh, he loves to be able to serve behind the scenes a little bit. Go ahead and take that mask off, Ernie. Um, and so this is a little bit out of the ordinary for him, but I think it's going to be a great opportunity for us. And he's, he said he's willing to do it. And he did a great job during the 9 a.m. service, and I know he's going to do a great job again. So, Ernie, I'll let you take it, take it away here a little bit. I want to know, uh, how did you see the Lord's presence with Jan and with you in the time leading up to and after her passing? In the beginning of our... In... Keep trying. One. In the beginning of uh, 2011 was a new year. Uh, shortly after that, we found out that uh, Jan's chemo was done. There was no more. No more chemo. We knew that. So we, go, we went forward. Um, comfort, taking care of her. And people don't know this, on July 2nd, she took a fall and fractured both her arms across here. Both of them. Tough. Before that, she would come to church. She, I'd come to church first to work here, and she'd show up. She'd drive herself and her little self. She was small. She was like 5'2". She'd walk up here in a little long dress, a little sweater, her scarf over her little bald head, you know, and she'd come in. She'd love being here, no matter what. She could tolerate that. It was no problem for her. So we went through that, and she took the fall. Uh, come around September, uh, she, she passed on September the 13th. So around the 10th or 11th, I remember Ray Molinar and Richard Armstrong singing to her at the hospital, at the ICU, singing Jesus Loves Me, and she loved it. She had her friends there all the time. She had uh, Bev Malin, the late great Bev Malin, we just passed. She's in heaven now, too. And Francine LeBlanc, they were there all the time, taking care of her, watching her, staying with her, keeping her company. In retrospect, she kept telling me that last night on the 12th, she said, Ernie, I want to go home. I want to go home. She wanted to go home. Talked to the staff there. They said, we're going to stabilize her. And then tomorrow, we'll, we'll, we'll put her in an ambulance and send her back to the house, your house in Hercules. Okay, that's great. So I told her, you're going home tomorrow. Going home tomorrow. Little did I know. She, uh, she was there comfortable. She was comfortable there in the, in the ICU. And she had her friends there. Pastor Phil had been there. Carolyn had been there. Ray and Richard singing. So I bent over to kiss her goodbye that night. She reached over and stroked my arm. She told me, you're going to be okay, Ernie. She told me. Went home. Next morning, uh, I get a call from the hospital. Uh, Mr. Sanchez, were you going to see Janet today? I said, no, they're bringing her in an ambulance this afternoon. At 1 o'clock, they're bringing her home. He goes, maybe you should come, home right, come back right now. now. I got there. Angel was right behind me on the highway. We both got there. And she had her labored breathing. And the nurse said, talk to her. They can hear you. So I told her, chuckle or cry if you must. I said, you know, you're making a lot of us saps back here kind of jealous. Because you're going to see the Lord, our Savior's face before us. You're going to see him before us. Time passed. We were there for her last breath. 
The matter of fact is, after you lose someone, whether it's a hospital, a car accident, whatever, in this case it was cancer, took my wife, took Jan, everything becomes business. They come to you with papers to sign. We had to go to the mortuary. We had, there's issues we had to deal with. How you want to do this? How you, we, we hadn't planned it. We took care of that. Finally got home that afternoon, and my two grandsons are there, seven and four. I told them, Mom's not coming home. She's in heaven. They seemed to be okay with that because they said, uh, the seven-year-old, you mean she's got her hair? <laughs> she's got her hair? And she's walking and she's not hurting anymore? I go, yep. I almost saw her in the two boys' faces, almost like celebration. Oh, mom's all, mom, we called her mom. Mom's all better. Mom's all better. It was tough. It was tough. I had a hard time thinking about Jan after she passed. I didn't want to. Understand me. We're all different. This is how I was. I didn't want to. Uh, I think about her with too much hurt and pain. I didn't want to think about her. Six months passed. Six months. Then, in, uh, in John 16, it says, You'll see me no more. In a while, you'll see me again. My, in a while, were those six months. In the middle of the night, I woke up smiling, realizing I was dreaming about Jan. That's when it turned. Think about it every day now. Think about it every day now. That's joy. What else could it be? Oh, joy from Jesus. Joy from Jesus. What else? Amen. So, so you saw the presence of the Lord all through that, those final days. Uh, help us understand, what, how did Jan express joy, even in those hard times toward the end? And what was sustaining her joy, Ernie? She was sustained by her Bible. She was a Bible thumper. She was a Bible lover. She loved her Bible. She read the Bible every day. She had scripture highlighted in her Bible. When she was in the hospital, she had Ben Malin, Francine LeBlanc, reading her the Bible. And she knew she was going home. We didn't know when. We, none of us know when. But we knew she was going home. She kept her faith in Valley. Valley was her faith. That's where she kept it. She was a prayer warrior. Like she was, ask people. Irene Bullock, Barbara McLean, Selma Jew, Kathy Rasmussen, and any other of you that she may have prayed for. She would pray for you. She was a prayer warrior. She believed in prayer till the very end. She was thankful for every day. We all get up every morning, go to work, come to church. That sun comes up. That's joy. You got that day. You got another day. Don't take that for granted. That's a joyful thing that happens for you every day. There's joy in everything we do. And always remember that. Thank you. So, uh, Ernie, you're, I know right now you're, you're emotional. Yeah, breathe, brother. <laughs> breathe. Uh, but those who know you, I, I feel like you're a pretty happy-go-lucky guy. Like, you're, you're a fun-loving guy. We love to talk sports, uh, a lot of that. But, uh, you know, hearing about the sorrow that you were going through, what has sustained your joy? Not just happiness, but real joy, Ernie. The, fam- the family I have here in Valley... The day Jan went home, I was in the middle of Timothy class. A lot of you know what Timothy class was. It was a leadership class here in the church. Um, we were in the middle of it. This was a weekday. So I came to Phil that day, and I said, hey, Phil. And Phil knew. I said, I mean, Pastor Phil knew. I said, I need someone to take notes for me. Now, you guys know Pastor Phil. Pastor Phil said, boy, you got to be in class. <laughs> You, you, you got to be with your brothers to pray for you and support you, and I did. I went to class, and I had like 18, 20 guys around, all praying, we, pray, we all cried, we prayed, we cried and prayed, and got to that note, and I took my notes. <laughs> <laughs> the fellowship here is what holds me together, it still does. Everyone asks me about Jan, who knows her, you know, ask me about Jan. 
In James, it says in the beginning, we're going to go through trials, tribulations. God knows this. But he also tells us we're going to persevere. He tells us we're going to persevere. And count all this as joy. You go through a rough spot, don't tell me you have a hangnail. Don't tell me you get cramps in your foot. I don't want to hear that. You want to talk to me, we'll talk about, about going through a trial. Okay? But either way, there's joy. You will persevere. So, so you've, you've had joy from Jesus in the midst of all of this, Ernie. And I know early in this week, Wednesday, I mean, we were both tearing up, just hearing your story. But I think for those that are here today and watching online, uh, what would you say to them, or maybe even how would you pray for them to encourage them wherever they're, they're at right now? Not just the hangnails, but real trials, real sorrow, real anguish that, that people are, are seeing you today. What would you say to them to encourage their hearts in the Lord? You pray and you pray hard for joy. You pray to Jesus for your joy. Amen. You don't ask, you don't get. Mm. Pray for Jesus for the joy. He will bring it to you. Have wisdom. Have patience. Be discerning. See what's around you. You're going to get your joy. Mm. I, all of you who are, who are like, against, who have woes and problems, prayed with a lady after first service this morning. She told me her, her worries and her woes about her family, and we prayed hard for her. And I said, when this is all done, it's a journey. The beginning, the middle, and the end. God's will be the end. When this journey is over, step back, take a deep breath, sustain, and you will have joy. Mm. But you've got to pray to him, and the last thing I'll say is you've got to put your trust in him. Don't think about trusting him. You have to put your trust in Jesus. Mm-hmm. You put your trust there, he will give you the joy. Amen. 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 You did it, brother. As you can see, Ernie loves his bride so much. As he should. He loves his family so much. And I think, Ernie, what you've displayed for us is just still that lingering pain and sorrow and grief. But in the midst of it, brother, we see joy. We see joy in Jesus. Can we give him a round of applause for sharing that with us today? And so before we go, we're going to have a little time of prayer. Jesus said, he said, my life gives birth to your joy. And you've never asked anything in my name of the Father. But he said, he told his disciples, ask and you'll receive it that your joy may be full. Today you may be here feeling heavy hearted, feeling sorrowful feeling in anguish. Maybe it's so painful. Whatever it is that you're going through, maybe it feels like the pains of labor. Jesus says, I came to give you joy. I've risen from the grave and no one can take your joy from you. But you may have come here today feeling like your joy tank is on empty. What we want to do right now, Bobby's going to lead us in, in just singing a few Verses of the song we sang earlier, call upon the name of the Lord. But we want to invite you today to call upon the name of the Lord to say, Lord, restore your joy back to me. I believe in Jesus. I believe that his life gives birth to our joy. And I want to have my joy back. Just like Brother Ernie said, he had to wait and wait. But then God delivered joy back to his heart. So I want to ask you, invite you to stand up together. And if you're a prayer counselor here, Elder, deacon, usher, anybody who's available, you come down and pray with some folks. We haven't done this for a while, but we think that the time is right today. If you feel like you need prayer today, if you feel like you need someone to put an arm around your shoulder to say, we'll stand with you, that that God and Jesus would restore your joy back to your heart, we will pray with you today. And if you've never experienced the joy of the Lord, if that's something that you have had no categories for, we want to introduce you to a risen Savior today. We want to introduce you to the one that can give birth to your joy today through His resurrected life. 
If you've never experienced it or if you just need to have your joy tank filled up today, we invite you. Come on down. We'll pray with you. Or you can pray where you're at. But let's sing. Let's pray. Let's wait on the Lord and ask Him to restore our joy today. Let's pray, church. Our Father, we come to you today in the name of Jesus. We come to you in His name today because His life gives birth to our joy. We believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. We believe that He's the one who lived a sinless, perfect life for us. He came in human flesh, though He was more than a man. He's also God. But He's the one that went right into the crucible of suffering for us. He's the one that went through the fire for us. He's the one that was crucified and and appeased your wrath on that cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins and rose victoriously from the grave so that we could say His life has given birth to our joy today. Father, I thank You that as Jesus promised, He said no one... And nothing will ever take this joy from you. Father, I thank you that cancer could not take away the joy from Ernie and Jan Sanchez. I thank you, Father, that today COVID cannot take away our joy. We thank you that unemployment cannot take away our joy. We thank you that hurricanes and fires and tragedies and terrorist attacks. Nothing could take away the joy that you've given to us in Jesus. A divorce can't take it away. Watching a child walk away cannot take it away. Oh, Father, this joy that you've given to us in Jesus can last forever. Not because we're naive or ignorant to our suffering, but because Jesus is alive. And so, Father, today we remember that Jesus is our glorious and risen Savior. We confess and we believe that He is one day returning to raise these bodies, to turn the perishable into imperishable, to turn the mortal into immortal, so that we can say, death, where's your sting? Death, where's your victory? The victory is is ours in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we come to You and we ask for those today that feel the pain and anguish and grief and sorrow that this world is threatening upon them to rob their joy. Would You fill their spiritual, emotional tanks up with joy again today? That they could walk out of this place saying, my circumstances may have not changed an ounce, but I have joy. I have joy overflowing. I have perfect, full joy in my heart because I'm looking to my Savior and my Lord. So, Father, today I pray, would you allow us as we go now to put that joy on display? That as the world looks at us and they turn their heads and they wonder, how in the world can they have so much joy? We could say it's because I believe in a risen Savior. Oh, Father. We're just doing what Jesus asked. We love to plagiarize and we plagiarize your son. He said, come and ask in my name. We're asking in the name of Jesus with it for his glory for His purposes and His priorities, we say, please, restore our joy once again today. We trust You. We love You. And I pray as we go that we grab somebody and encourage them in the Lord today. I pray that somebody would grab me and encourage me in the Lord today. That we'd say, His life gives birth to our joy. Let us do that as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, church. Thanks for joining us today. You're dismissed.